This episode is brought to you by Ahmed Tea. Ahmed Tea is one of our favorite tea companies and partners. At Your Service has hosted several dinners and tea experiences with them. Not only because they're a family-run company who care about supporting and facilitating great storytelling, but also because their tea is actually our favorite. The lemon ginger is my daily go-to to start my day, and their cold brew is the best take on iced tea I have ever had. For the summer, I love the peach and passion fruit with a freshly squeezed lemon served in a big mason jar filled with ice. We are so thrilled to partner with them on this episode, and all of us are currently drinking hot cups of Ahmed tea during this conversation. Make sure you cozy up and grab yours at ahmedteausa.com. That's A-H-M-A-D-T-E-A-U-S-A.com. Three, two, one. Today is going to be a little bit different and in a very fun way. I'd like to welcome you to our first group storytelling session. I love facilitating panel discussions. And for this season of Podcast Noor, we wanted to bring that collective energy here. So for this week's episode, we have a really special gift. Our storytellers this week are not one, but two of the most innovative and prominent magazine editors. Samira Nasser is the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar magazine and the first black woman to hold the title. Samira was previously at Vanity Fair where she served as executive fashion director. And in her own words, she is, quote, the proud daughter of a Lebanese father and Trinidadian mother. And her worldview is expansive and anchored in the belief that representation matters. She said those words in the announcement of her becoming the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar. And I remember when I watched the video, I actually cried. I'm so happy she's here. And alongside Samira, we welcome Lindsay Peoples, editor-in-chief of The Cut magazine, also one of the nation's rare black women editors-in-chief. Lindsay was previously the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and the youngest editor-in-chief of a Condé Nast magazine. She also co-founded the Black and Fashion Council, which has enlisted the support of the human rights campaign to provide benchmarking around corporate policies and practices that are pertinent to the inclusivity of Black employees. I have been in awe of both of these women for years, and I have seen up close the way they have broken barriers, both in journalism and in fashion. And it's not an easy feat. I feel like most of the conversations I've had with both of these women have been check-ins. Hey, how are you? How's your heart doing? What's going on? There's so much that happens behind the scenes to make the beautiful stories that you get to enjoy every day come to life. And it is right here on Podcast Noor that these two powerhouses that are working at completely different magazines in a competitive industry are actually in conversation like this for the very first time. So welcome to our first podcast panel. Let's get into it. 
I love you both so much and I'm so grateful that you're both here together, but I've actually never seen you guys in conversation together and you both- No, we've never done this. We've never done this. But you like both run like publications that I am a huge fan of, but also have completely different approaches and voices and visions. And so I think it's, I mean, I feel so honored and grateful that you are here and you're going, like we're going to be in conversation. And the way that we kick off these conversations is a question I've asked you both probably a hundred times. And I love that like you maybe already know what the question is, but the question is, how is your heart doing today? And since Samira, I felt it coming out of your body <laughs> as soon as I saw you, you can kick us off. Um, I was going to kick it to you, but I'll take it. Yes. Uh, my heart is very heavy. Mm -hmm. It's been heavy for a long time. Um, it is especially heavy with the news uh, coming out of Kansas and that little boy who was simply just mm -hmm. being in the world and going to pick up his two siblings. And I just... I'm at a point, and this you, we yeah. were talking about this earlier, where I, I can't, I can't. My nervous system, mm -hmm. and it's not even happening to me, but it is happening to me, mm -hmm. and my nervous system can't take much more mm -hmm. of the. Um, it's it's just death and destruction, and um, and there are just certain groups that are not safe in this country. And it's it's that compounded with our rights and um, being decimated, you know, it's like every day you wake up and you read the paper and it's like, you know, another incredible book has been banned. Uh, women's, you know, rights, body, you know, the, the right to choose and make choices about our bodies are, you know, mm -hmm. being taken away, you know, slowly across this whole country. Um, little boys are being murdered. I mean, I, I, my heart is heavy. My heart is so heavy. And I, I'm, I, I don't know how to fix it. Mm. I wish I could fix it and I don't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I don't want to cry today. I cry a lot. I cry all the time. But I cry every day. <laughs> I cry all the time. Yeah. But we kind of need to know that I think crying is really brave today, especially. So LP, tell me about your heart. <laughs> oh man, what word would I use? I would say fragile. Yeah. Um, it's like a weird combination of things. I think um, I I love this job so much. Yeah. Like it's exactly what I never knew that I even wanted to do with my life, but it is relentless. And it just requires a discipline that just like doesn't let up that I think people don't really understand. Um, and I take that into consideration when people, you know, like will DM me and be like, why did the cut do this? Or why did I'm like, you have no idea how much work goes into it. You know, it's nothing is just for no reason. Everything specifically at the cut is so intentional and so thought out. And um, as Samira was saying, I think like it just requires a lot of you to to read everything, to know everything for your job, but then also because I care about the world and I want to know what is yeah. happening in the world. But then to try to change the world and try to make things better on top of that um, yeah, can feel a little insurmountable and... You know, days like today, it's rainy in New York. Um, 
And there's just a lot happening that I think it feels like one one wrong thing and I'm like, okay, I need to lay down. <laughs> like yeah. one one more thing, which I, I hate feeling that way. Yeah. Both of you hold the position of editor-in-chief of both The Cut and Harper's Bazaar. What do you feel is the responsibility of an editor-in-chief of a publication, of a media publication today? And how do you feel like your definitions of that responsibility are different than maybe the publications you came from? I mean, I think traditionally the responsibility was to really take the throne of like, this is who we think is cool. Like, this is what we think is happening. And I think a lot more of my approach is, is to let culture kind of decide and not be so judgmental, mm. not be so mm-hmm. that I think that we know and not be so set on judging whether a person should be canceled or whether a person is right. cool or how do we define if a person is good enough for something. And so I think my approach is just more, this is who I think people really love, want to follow, care about, et cetera. Or this is what I think people need to care more about Yeah, that other people care about, but this certain group of people don't understand why it's more important than they realize. Um, and I think that responsibility just shifted over time. But I think also um, both places that I've been editor-in-chief are places that I worked before. And so I had just like such a acute gut deep love for Teen Vogue and the same with The Cut, like just read it all the time. As I got older, I read The Cut, but like I grew up reading Teen Vogue and I still have all the old magazines. So um, I think my perspective was more so as someone who works there and then coming back, Mm. things that I wanted to to build upon the foundation that was already there and things that I felt like I loved that I wanted to keep and a lot of things that I felt like didn't serve the brand anymore. Mm. Um, I would say for Harper's Bazaar, um, I like to say that we're at the intersection of luxury fashion and culture. Mm. Um, And so while the people that I'm surrounded with, um, my colleagues, we all come from very distinct places, different places. We're all rooted in shared values. Mm. And I think we share a curiosity um, about our place and the world around us. So... I think my job as editor-in-chief is to sort of set the direction. And then a lot of times I just get out of the way, like Mm. get out of the way and let them do what they are so gifted at doing. Certainly I bring my values um, and having existed for as long as I've existed in the world um, and been, you know, othered my whole life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's something that's part of who I am. And so I have a natural curiosity um, towards injustice Mm -hmm. and uh, to people and groups who, for whatever reason, um, just don't feel included. And so part of what I've taken a special joy in doing at Harper's Bazaar is... um, making people feel included. And literally it is the greatest compliment that anyone can pay me. You know, when people stop me or whatever, and they Mm. say, I love what they're doing. It's like, I see myself and what you're doing. It is the single Mm -hmm. greatest compliment that anyone could pay me. Mm. Um, But I think the job at EIC has changed so drastically now versus what it 
once was, you know, like I think back um, to these brilliant editors, you know, that have had these decades long career um, careers, but they literally just had like a magazine to put out every month, which can you imagine if that's all you had to do, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) the dream (laughs) we have, you know, we are media brands and we have to meet our audience wherever they consume us or wherever they're looking for us. So that's social media, that's digital, that's print, you know? And so, um, so it's, it's a lot more involved. It's a lot more complex. And I think to Lindsay's point, like it is, it is like, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, because there's also this added layer of, of responsibility that isn't typically included in your job description with words, but maybe is included in your job description when you know you're getting hired, which is this like, and it's the same weight and heaviness that I feel on both of you every time I see you guys, because I know that there's like, that you're carrying this, um, responsibility of there are the stories that we're presenting to the world. And then there's the pain that is being presented in this world that is being experienced in this world. And how do we balance, um, being of service in a way that our audience can actually receive it? Cause you can sit there and, you know, report on social justice and injustices all day. But like, you also know that you know exactly what story is going to get clicked on. And so there's this like balance of like making sure that, you know, you're using your team's time wisely and impactfully, but also that like at the end of the day, you can't control how the story is received and you can't fully control the experience that ends up coming from it. And I don't know, for me, I feel like if that was a responsibility that that would keep me up at night because I just like, like you said, Samir, like you, I, I don't know what I would do. And so in all of the, I don't know, what are some questions that you ask yourself so that you can do your jobs better? And I feel like this is so personal and it doesn't have to be specific to just the job, but like, what are questions that you're asking yourself about how you can show up as a human who happens to occupy such a profound job? I don't approach it like that. I really don't. I, I am, um, I am comfortable with what I am rooted in. Mm, I take, tell me more. I am very, you know, I have a lot of things that I, there's a lot of doubt in me, but one thing that I never doubt is where I come from, who I am and what my values are. My moral compass is, um, is like strong. Yeah. Um, so I don't ask myself those questions and I cannot be buried under the weight of worry in terms of like how people are going to receive the stories. Yeah. I think if, if you just do the, you know, and also it's, it's, it's fashion and it's, you know, it's, it shouldn't feel heavy, yeah. you know, it, it should feel joyful and light and we can tackle subjects with rigor and we can tackle subjects with, um, you know, um, an intensity, but I don't think what we do should feel heavy. We're, I'm not, we're not reporting. I'm not a news organization. And I make that really clear to the team. Like we don't, we're not a news outlet. So we, we can't cover the news, but how can we cover the things that we care about in the way and bring them into our Mm. world and look at them through our lens. And, and beyond that, I can't worry about 
how people are going to receive those stories. Mm -hmm. If we do it with a clear heart and Mm -hmm. we do our, you know, and we work hard on these stories, once they go out in the world, I think so many people have touched them, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's the beauty Mm -hmm. of what we do. It's teamwork. So I may not have a, I have a blind spot. Someone on my team doesn't have that same blind spot, right? right? So they're like, oh, did you think about this? Mm -hmm. And so that's the beauty of collaboration because we all come at it with different blind spots and we can all catch one another. And then once it goes out, you know, I I can't worry about it. You let go of it. I gotta let go of that. Well, when was the first time you ever felt properly represented in media? Properly represented? I still don't feel properly represented. What are you talking about? Really? Yeah. Hey, I'm Noor Tagore, and I've been telling stories my entire life. I've spent the last few years examining a more personal narrative about how the misrepresentation of Muslims in media has impacted American society. I thought I knew the story because I thought I knew my story. But the more I looked for answers, the more questions I had. So I experimented. I examined one of the most traumatic tragedies in my family's history, a news event that dominated American airwaves in April 1986. During the journey, something extraordinary happened. The stories I thought I knew intimately were still alive. I learned that controlling a narrative instead of being curious about it is exactly the dynamic I was examining to begin with. What I found was a fuller exploration of the ever-evolving story of America. I always felt like America stole me from myself. I've always felt like that's what America does, is it steals people from themselves and it replaces themselves with a myth. How do we get to the point where you are okay sitting next to, sitting with a story that is not your own just because? My intention with Rep is to challenge the concept of the value of representation. Our guides include experts, academics, artists, actors, names you already know. And in our conversations, we bounce around through American history and culture and witness our present and future unfold, and then find out how these stories affect us all. This podcast examines our culture through the lens of three Ps, politics, pop culture, and public opinion. Listen to Rep on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Thank you for sharing that. What about you? Um, I think it's more of like we were talking about cooking. I think it's more of like when you're making a meal, there are certain things that you're making at certain times when you time like a, when you time a meal that you're making. Mm. Right. So it's like there could be, you know, your main dish in the oven that's cooking for a couple hours, but then you're moving stuff on the stovetop and constantly moving things around mm-hmm. of like what's warm, what's ready, what takes longer to cook. And I think a lot of times I'm not really thinking about I don't really have the the bandwidth, honestly, to think about myself or what I think or what people are going to worry about yeah. because, man, I like I can't even go there because it doesn't. It, I don't even have the space, honestly, yeah. mentally. I think it's more so, you know, we want the journey at the cut to be 
an adventure for people. We want it to be like a relationship. I don't want it to be transactional. I don't want it to be just like, oh, I see this one thing. And then, you know, I saw it and then I'm done. I want it to really feel like they know us and they're part of the community. And, um, I mean, we like to say, like, we want to be the thing in your group chats. We want to be the thing that you're yeah. sending to your friends. Like, oh, did you see this? We have to talk about this at dinner, et cetera. And I think, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, New York Magazine, a lot more news oriented. But a lot of it for me is, okay, you know, if the lens is inclusivity, then what ways do we find into all of these stories that there's going to be some things that we really want to do? And that there's, yeah. there's, there's going to be some things that are really going to break my heart that we have to do, regardless yeah. of how we feel about it. Mm. And so... Um, I feel like I'm constantly moving things around editorially to make sure that it is a journey and that it's not one note. Yeah. Um, so even when I think about last year, because um, I was looking at covers this morning for something around this time, we did the Trayvon Martin Black Lives Matter issue, but then we did the Women of Euphoria mm-hmm. and then we did, you know, a service issue on abortion. Like we we like mm-hmm. to to keep it spicy yep. as I would say but important <laughs> it's very life fold like life full like it just it's it it does kind of um feel like we're getting I don't know your description of like the we want to be in your group chats like that's very much mm-hmm. <laughs> that's very much what's yeah. happening yeah. in our lives um okay so tell me about the resources that magazines are actually getting right now like I'm so curious <laughs> about no I know this is why I'm asking because there's like mm. like People have very strong feelings about, I think, print media right now or just um, uh, magazines in general. Like, what are the actual resources that you're getting? What are the resources that are needed? And how how are you balancing that navigation? I laugh because I remembered the other day I was talking to someone about when we used to have swim editors and dem editor denim editors. Like there used to be so many, there was like an editor just for, for, swim for market. Just for yeah. There was always like just a swim person that just went to Miami swim fashion <laughs> week. Like there, there used to be so many different editors. And I feel like now because we have podcasts and TV and da da da, like there's, you know, it it's meshed into a lot of different jobs into one. But I think, um, a lot of it, honestly, for me in this job, there there are a lot of resources, but I think there's so much happening that it, it's hard mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, what is the thing that we want to put our weight behind? Yeah. And especially because yeah. we do a lot of long form yeah. or investigative reporting, you you know, you want to make sure that the bet that you're making is is yeah. a smart one and a safe one in the sense of safe in the, in the sense of like, this is, you know, the reporting's not going to fall through or people aren't going to say that they don't want to be part of the story anymore or something like that. Um, Mm. And, you know, writers work for a really long time on a story and then they need something else to kind of take a break from. And so um, I think the resources are, are there and the desire for journalism is there, but I also think people don't understand the amount of work that it takes to go into to pieces. I mean, just like production of shoots is, so many people, but I do think, um, even if I'm just, you know, specifically talking about reporting, a lot of times I don't think people understand when they'll say like, Oh, like, why did you do this story? And this feels like it, you know, um, this feels like it wasn't, you know, this feels like it, there wasn't enough people. And it's like, you don't realize we had to talk to a hundred people just to get to that, <laughs> just to get to this reporting that we do yeah. have. Um, and fact checkers and lawyers, there's so many people involved. Yeah. And so I do think, you know, the resources are there for the right kinds of stories, but traditionally shoots 
used to cost way more yeah. than they do now, for sure, I would say. Mm. I would amplify that or I would second that. You know, we have resources. It's just there's so many other places that we need to, you know, it's like where are you going to allocate them mm-hmm. to um, and what are you going to get behind and how are you going to use them? Yeah. You know, it's not that it's not that we don't have resources. It's just you have to be wise in how you use them and where are they going. And I would... I would also agree that, you know, this idea that, you know, when people say, oh, you know, I, you know, I just do print. I'm like, no, 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 You work at Harper's Bazaar and we, we are nimble, right? And we work cross platform and it's just, you may be print focused, but that doesn't mean you're just, you know, this, this mentality that people just do one single thing is very outdated. I think people have to consider that it's, these are brands and we work at a brand and there may be a focus, but people, I mean, so many people on my team work Mm cross-platform. Um, and that's just how we have to be. And as editor in chief, I have to decide, okay, if this is the pie of resources, you know, how am I going to allocate them strategically? Yeah. And it is something that is very hard to learn. It is something that I'm, that I really struggle with. And it's actually one of my sort of immediate goals is to get better at, um, you know, being more strategic about it. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. I remember like when I first started journalism school or when I was in journalism school 10 years ago and how at the time, all my professors were adjunct, so they all worked in news and in media. Mm-hmm. And I just remember I had this one professor who kept telling all of us, like, gone are the days where you can get away with being able to do one thing in this industry. You have to be able to do everything. And we would we would call ourselves MMJs, multimedia journalists. You mm-hmm. have to be able to shoot, produce, to write, to do all of the things. And, you know, before we got on, started recording, Samira, we were talking about, like, the things that we didn't learn in journalism school or the things that we remember learning in journalism school. And so I'm curious to hear about like how, based on your journalism school educations, how would you, um, what do you think is missing from, or what do you think needs to be added to how we are teaching young people to be journalists? And then the follow-up to that is, and do you find yourself still encouraging people to pursue journalism? given the industry that we are in? I think we need journalists now more than ever. (laughs) So yes, I'm encouraging anyone to pursue that. I think now more than ever, we need people to be reporting on what's happening in our world um, because there's so much noise and so much distraction. And, um, And so people who are committed to their ideals, truth, like that, that really matters now more than ever. Um, but again, like we're not, I'm not, I don't work at a news organization. So it, it's hard to take like literal, like those principles very literally. Of course, like we do long, you know, some great features that, um, you know, Leah Chernikoff, who's our executive editor, um, spearheads. And I really, you know, I believe in those. And, you know, like Lindsay said, it's like fact checkers and lawyers and all these yeah. people that get involved in that. And those stories are important, but um but we we approach everything very much through the lens of, you know, of fashion, luxury yeah. fashion. But personally, like, yeah. how, what do you think um, we need to be talking more about within, like, teaching young storytellers and young journalists? Go out and live. Mm. You know, 
I think there's this thing. I remember one of my teachers um, said, you know, the best thing you could do is go work for a small town newspaper. newspaper. Absolutely. hundred percent. I, I still I, believe that. Same. I still believe that. I think there's something in living, yep. you know, and I, where you're like learning and observing and living life and then mm. figuring out who you want to be and what stories matter to you yeah. and starting with those and just smart at a start, excuse me, at a, a sort of a small town paper. I mean, hopefully they still <laughs> exist. Some I think of the best reporting I think like comes no, out of local news. It's, it's, it's essential. Yeah. It's really, really essential. Yeah. I always find myself when, when young journalists ask me for advice and their intention is always like, I want to move to New York or I want to move to like whatever one of the top 10 markets. I'm like, no, if you have the opportunity to report in your town where you've yep. already built rapport and trust yep. with your community yep. members, you can tell phenomenal stories there. If you're able to get out of your town telling amazing local stories, which like local news to me is where my heart is at. I love it so much. Um, then you're going to be able to find the local and the global wherever you go. Cause then you'll know the importance of having a relationship with like your deli guy or having a relationship with the, with a local city council member, or having a relationship with a local teacher. Um, but Lindsay, what about you? Like, how are you, how are you feeling about the state of journalism education and just like encouraging people. And I know that it's so important to be encouraging. We need journalists now more than ever, but also the reality of it is, especially in this business, like I always tell people, don't go into journalism for the money. There's no money in Definitely this. Definitely not. And also, <laughs> and the job security now, because like people are, I mean, so many people are now full-time freelancers because they've felt the burn of these mass layoffs in our industry. And so it's just like people are really struggling to hold on to want, like still wanting to be a journalist because it's not entirely a rewarding job. So do you find yourself, you know, ever feeling guilty with like when people are coming to you and want to pursue this, but you know how hard it is for it to become sustainable? I mean, I think I am incredibly transparent about my journey and how hard it's been. Yeah. So I... And that's why I say it, because I think that people don't understand. They think that we're like looking at a rack of pretty clothes all day. And yeah. I'm like, that doesn't happen to me. Yeah. And so I do. Um, and because I didn't grow up here and coming from the Midwest and and trying to find my way. And so I do. That's why I literally share that, because I do think so many young people think just like a hop, skip and a jump. And it yeah. is not. And I, I mean, I. I think that we're always going to need writers. Like I don't, and I don't think that that's a, a bad thing to encourage people to want to be in journalism, but I do think um, we need more bravery in journalism. Like mm, I think that a lot of people want to write the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I mean, the amount we have like open, um, like an open email where people can pitch the cut and all of the cut editors look at it. So it gets automatically sent to me and the senior editors and a lot of people pitch the same things over and over again. Do you have examples that you think that are at the top of really mind? Really embarrassing things that, that I just the things that I just don't want to write about okay. at all. Like okay. right now, the one we were laughing about last week was people kept being like, "There's this new like cowgirl trend, like that everybody is," and it's like no one cares. Yeah. I, I don't care. Yeah. And we're not writing about this. So please stop sending me this. And it's yeah. like, this is the new way that all the girls, the it girls are dressing. And like, here's an essay on it for 5,000 words. Absolutely not. Cool. Not going to read it. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it can come from a good place for people just wanting to, you know, write something. But it's like, you're literally just taking a tweet and trying to make it into an essay, which it is not. And I think also yeah. um, I want... I'm attracted to the stories that require a sense of bravery and just a sense of like, 
I'm a little scared to do it. Yes. Yes. Like not terrified. And I get that's not for everyone. That that's my jam. But I think like yes. if you're not a little worried about it, it's like <laughs> I mean, things can be beautiful. Things can be nice, all of that. And I think there's space for that. But if you're not a little like, is this going to edge a little bit? Then sometimes I feel like it usually doesn't hit for me. And yeah. so, um, or even if it's just like something that we haven't done before. And that makes me a little yeah. scared of like, well, we haven't done this before. We haven't taken on this kind of project before. Or we haven't done it this big before. Yeah. Um, that's always something I'm looking for. But I always give young people specifically the same advice, which is that they need to be hungry to do the work. Because yeah. I do think with social media, everybody wants the attention. Yeah. They want to say, you know, in their cover letter to me, 80 people shared this story. And I'm like, congratulations. I'm happy for you. But are you going to go after the work even when you don't feel like it? Like, are you going to be hungry to do this work and less thirsty for the attention that comes around being a, a writer or being at a magazine, et cetera? And I think that hunger, no one can give you. Yeah. Like, it has to be within you. Um, nobody you know, wakes me up every day and it's like, okay, you, you can do this, Lindsay. It's like, I, I have the hunger to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that's more so what I want young people to understand because if you're in it because you think you're going to get famous or you're going to get TikTok followers, you should probably just do something else. Yeah. And I would, I mean, that applies to everything. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't be doing it if you're just seeking fame. Is that more common than not? incredibly common in fashion yeah i think in everything right now yeah i think in everything right now hi there noor here from at your service at your service is a storytelling company we tell stories as a form of service and the way i think about it is story first medium second meaning we don't think hey, I really want to produce a podcast. What should it be about? No, we think of it as we have a story we want to tell. What is the best medium, the best way to tell it? Maybe it is a podcast. Maybe it's a documentary series, a virtual talk, a speaker series, a dinner party. Maybe it's a book club. The list goes on and on. We also love being of service to companies and brands and nonprofits to help them tell the best story possible so that they can serve their audience and their communities. So if you want to check out more of our work, you can do so at ays.media. You can also find the transcripts for all our podcast episodes right there. And if you're enjoying this podcast right now, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a review and give us some feedback. Let us know if you like this style of podcast or if you're looking for something else. And of course, if you have any stories you'd like to pitch for us, you can do that through our website as well. As always, at your service. Let's talk about fashion. How, what are you feeling about your places in fashion and in this industry today, right now, on a personal level? I don't think about that. Again, I, I, I the, that's none of my business. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm in certain spaces and, um, and because I'm in certain spaces, other people who have traditionally been excluded are now in other spaces Mm -hmm. and collectively we are, you know, filling more seats, occupying more space. It will never go back. What people make of that 
think of that is none of my business. Yeah. It's none of my business. I just know that I um, deserve to be in these spaces. Yeah. And I am, um, I feel very lucky to be in these spaces. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I still feel privileged to be, yeah. um, you know, included. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't take that privilege lightly. And I always say to my team, like, I don't know how long we're going to have the keys. Mm. So let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. do things that we believe in yeah. that matter to us. Mm. How people read that, again, because if I have to start unpacking what that means to everybody, it's a lot for me to carry. Yeah. So I, I just don't, I just, you know, do my best in these spaces, try and pull as many people as I can in and what that means for other people. I I can't focus on that. Also, like you have this, um, you both are able to witness fashion from the inside. And so you have been able to track the changes and how the industry is evolving. And so I'd love to just know, like, as a lover of fashion, as a storytelling platform, Mm -hmm. like how are you witnessing this specific medium of storytelling show up in the world today like as a service? For me personally, no matter the job, I think people in fashion really didn't know what to do with me. They were like, she's very unapologetically black. She doesn't like, she really Mm -hmm. likes this, but like, she's very like, this is who she is. And Samir and I have always had that in common. Like, we're just like, look, it's who I am. Take it or leave it. Like, it's just, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. And I think um, when you show up like that, it can often make people really uncomfortable. And this has been a lesson in my old age now um, that I have to You're be. still young. <laughs> We're still um, young. <laughs> I have to get really comfortable with people being uncomfortable with yeah. me. And um, not even that, like, that I will necessarily care, but I think um, just letting it sit in me. And when, you know, you just let something like, yeah. bother you a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more and then you just start to realize that it changes maybe your decisions or how you move in the world and so I do think um mm. I do think especially even in these jobs uh a lot of times the industry likes to have things in boxes like mm. okay we get this person this is how they are we get this publication or if you like fashion then this is the magazine that you read instead of understanding that we're nuanced multifaceted human yes, beings and right. like if I like fashion, but I also really care about the world. And that's why like Teen Vogue was such a fun fit for me because it yeah. meant so much to me to be at a brand that celebrated a lot of things in a different way and, and tapped into an audience that I felt was really underappreciated. Um, but I do think it can be confusing for the industry when if, if I'm saying like inclusivity is a lens in which I see everything in which we do, I think a lot of times people think that think of that in boxes of like, yes. okay, then you're doing right. everything for black people during February. And then you're doing right. everything like it, in very siloed ways where mm. I'm just thinking of, look, like this is all the time. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It's none of the, it's none of your business, right? Like you set about your work with intention yeah. and you go through your life mm. with intention and clarity. And so how that lands for other people and the expectations that they suddenly think they have mm. for you and how mm-hmm. you are, it's none of your business. Yeah. It's none of your business. Yeah. Mm. You know, because otherwise, like then you're, you're supposed to navigate how other people, you know, what they want you to be doing and what they expect from you. And yeah. like, and that's also why you're the editor. 
Because like that's part of yeah. the job is like you yeah. being able to like sometimes I wonder if the job of being an editor or a curator or the person who's like bringing the, like the community story builder in that way is simply to create enough space for you to like be clear in what you're seeing and like maintain that sense of intention without being swallowed by like the noise or, or everyone's opinions. Well, we also have to continue to consider the brands that we work for, right? Like yeah. I'm the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar. So I have to consider that legacy and right. that tradition and the history of that brand. I think if I were at another brand that- It would it, look different. It would look different. Mm. Of course, I would bring myself to that in the same way that I bring myself to my current role. Yeah. But it always has to be from the point of view of like, what is this brand? And, you know, you can move the needle certainly and you can shift it, but mm -hmm. there's a tradition upon which that I'm building. Yeah. And this this brand will, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully, and I, you know, will go on for hundred more years and, and longer than that. Long, you know, I have the keys for a very short amount of time. So I have to sort of think about the tradition and the history and and kind of move within that context. That's yeah. a context and a framework that I'm working within. And I have to consider that. Thanks for sharing that. That's very, very, that felt very, very clear. Um, what is inspiring you both in fashion today? Like what's giving you hope? Hope is a big one. Oh boy. Um, I, you know, what's giving me hope. I recently, you know, did a panel discussion and I looked at, at all the kids that were in the room that yeah. were curious about fashion and, you know, were determined to participate in whatever way they could. And that is very hopeful for me. You know, mm -hmm. I just think there's, there are always going to be things that uh, are heavy and can bring you down and kind of suck the hope. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to choose to shift my gaze, um, and find it in the people I know who are curious about this industry, want to participate and, and they will carry it forward. Mm. What about you, Lindsay? I do think, um, a couple days ago I was at a dinner and a woman came up to me and, and shared her story and, um, just how something that we had been writing on the cut really touched her. And it's, you know, similar how to Samira, how Samira said of when someone says that they like see themselves in the work, I think that there, there is really nothing more gratifying, but I think yeah. um, just knowing that we helped someone and met mm -hmm. them in a really particular mm -hmm. moment in their life when they needed something um, is, gives me a sense of hope of like, okay, we're, we're on the right track. We're, yeah. do we're doing something right. Yeah. Um, Cause that's hard to come by. And I think, I mean, there's so much out there. And I mean, I, when I open my computer, open up 30 tabs of every website, there's a lot to read out there. And so the fact that people read our magazines, that that's a privilege in itself. You yeah. Know? How do you approach your reading for work? Oh, mine is. Is there a method? I don't to recommend it. No. I mean, it, honestly, <laughs> I feel like I read. So I just started reading for fun again, which has been really nice. Um, because that was a big shift from Teen Vogue to this job where it felt like at Teen Vogue, we obviously covered a lot of politics and activism, but it was obviously like geared towards a younger audience. And yeah. so a lot more news and just general news and lifestyle goes into obviously writing, um, at the cut in New York magazine. So, 
um, yeah, when I open my computer, it opens up like 30 something tabs of every website just to like scan the news of yeah. what's going on. And we're obviously just in Slack and everybody's putting stuff that somebody's going to blog. But um, I'm still coming up with a lot of ideas. Like that's a big part of my job as well, which it kind of changes for every editor in chief, just yeah. depending on the publication. Um, and so a lot of times a small little story and then I'll think like, maybe we should do a package around them. Maybe we should do a series. Like, should I try to turn that into a cover? Like mm-hmm. it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I did start reading for fun for myself, which was hard to kind of shift the gear because I feel like I'm just used to, okay, let me read this piece and yeah. see if we should have a take or should we skip it? Like I'm just used to reading to get the information out of it instead of just pausing. Yeah having a cup of tea, reading something that has nothing to do with work. Um, Because that's also the weird part about these jobs. I don't find, not really, but I don't find like TV or movies that enjoyable anymore because we watch so much (laughs) of it for work. Because we're like, oh, should we cover that person? Should we put them on a cover? Did we write an essay about this? Like everything can be a story. Everything can be a story. That's the problem. (laughs) So honestly, I have to read stuff that's like completely separate of like, we don't cover this. This is not anything for work. Because my brain, as intellectual, like my brain can't differentiate it. Samira, you relate? It's really embarrassing. (laughs) Actually, it's really sad. My team is, you know, they're... I've never been so disengaged from like pop culture mm. in my entire life. Mm. I and it's not because I'm not interested. I'm absolutely interested, but it's there's just so much to be on top of yeah. and to consume and it's so challenging mm-hmm. and you know again like reading every site all day and specifically ours and you know like all of the people whose work I admire and you know news and trying to think of what's happening and then on top of that I've got a binge watch and like all these things it's just too much for me so I've decided I can't do it all and there are things that I just I don't watch I don't see I trust that my team will yeah. say like we need to be on top of this yeah um and then I'll dip my toe in and whatever but like my greatest you know, when I travel now, when I fly, I'm not even watching films on television, on, on the plane. I'm not watching. I'm literally staring into space because mm-hmm. I just want to dream and think mm, and think yeah. about ideas and like what we should be doing. And I mean, people on the plane are like kind of looking at me like, is she okay? Because I just, sit, I do just sit there and I find, I fixate on like a spot and I will just sit there mm. and I'm, I'm just in my head. It's amazing though. Because I I need that time to yeah, just kind of yeah. not have my, you know, like I'll read a little bit and I love reading, but it's like, I, I just need to like take a step back and be in my head a little bit. Yeah. And I, it's probably because I've always been a dreamer, mm. right? As a kid, I've always been a dreamer. And, um, and so if I don't have that time, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of off my axis. Like I'm, yeah. you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole yeah. and there's no, in- I can't bring intention to anything that I'm doing. Yeah. I actually started making a habit of that on the plane too, where I like turn my phone off completely yeah. and I do nothing yeah. and I just sit Yeah, and it's like, and cause you're literally in the clouds. Like yeah. being on the plane is a reminder of how tiny we are, mm-hmm. how insignificant we are in that moment at least. And it's just, I, I, I think that that's a, such an important practice. And then sometimes like your voice, your inner voice comes through and it just like gives you a question or a word or an idea. And you're like, oh, that's what's next. Okay. Thank you. That was what I meant too about like creating the space so that you can receive like where you move next or what you do next. And it's 
I'm so proud of and in awe and inspired by you both too, because it's so clear. And I texted this to you the other day, Lindsay, like it's so clear that you are, you, you guys are making the work that you need for yourselves, that you want to see for yourselves too. Like it is in service of your reader and, and the brand, but it's also like, it, it, it also is covered in your light. And mm-hmm. that's so important because I think that that's why people are feeling more seen and that's why people are feeling more heard. And that's why conversations are happening that like are more regular now, but only recently, right? you know? And so, I, I mean, I would love to, I'll ask you this final question before um, a, a little fill in the blank we do, but, um, and I, I sincerely ask this, because, <clears throat> you know, at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about like, but what do we do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do just with the state of the world and everything that's going on. And of course you both, you know, are in the fashion space. And so I would love to know what is the conversation that we need to be having more of or amplifying more in this moment right now in fashion. And then if that changes outside of fashion as well, I would love to hear it too. I would say meaningful equity. Tell me more. Um, I think in fashion, you know, um, I think true equity for all people, not just, oh, well, we've hired these three people, so we're done. Yeah. And not just, it's like business people, creatives. How do we make it feel like even equity for emerging designers to feel like they have a shot, you know, now more than ever. Yeah. It's so challenging wherever you're from to be an independent designer. Like how do we create more equity for everyone? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the beauty about fashion is that it is like um, a mirror. It reflects what's happening in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And we, as editors, we are documenting history, Yeah, you know? Um, so how, if we can bring meaningful equity into our little community, our little microcosm, yeah. I believe it can spill out into everywhere, yeah. right? And it can, it, can, it can have a ripple effect. So how can we create meaningful equity equity for all people? How can we bridge to other communities? How can we Mm -hmm. make people feel like they can contribute in a meaningful way and not be tokenized? Hi there. I want to share with you a good deed opportunity. At ICU Foundation, we work to alleviate local homelessness and directly serve community members in need. We do this through our community pantry, family food bags, hygiene kits, snack bags, winter care packages, and grocery gift cards. Lately, we've been seeing incredible impact by partnering with businesses and organizations to host volunteer events where their teams make and distribute the ICU care bags. ICU is our response to a community member who, when we asked what she needed most, responded with, We just need to be seen. So if you would like to join us in seeing and serving the community, email us at contact at isyfoundation.org. Okay, back to the show. How do we prevent tokenization in fashion though? I struggle with that. I think 
intention. I think a lot goes back to intention Mm -hmm. and how, why you're bringing people on the intention behind it and never thinking that you've accomplished enough. Mm. The work can never be done. Thank you for saying that. The work can never be done. It's never, it's never like, oh, this is what we look, this is great. We're good. You know, it's, it's a constant commitment to, Mm -hmm. um, inviting people in, in the most subtlest of ways to the most obvious of ways. Yes. Yes. Um, and it can never, I think the minute we feel like, oh, well we did that. Yeah. I think we haven't actually. And I think it's intention and commitment to just forever being, you know, doing this work. Yeah. And I think that that's, and I don't think that's a good or a bad thing. I think that 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 just is, but it's a, it's a really important truth to acknowledge out loud because it goes back to you saying like, we have the keys for this brief moment. Every single person who has a job, who has a role in this space has the keys for a very brief moment. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And it's, you're not meant to finish anything. You're not meant to end anything. You're not meant to, you're just meant to make the impact that you can make and then make sure you're holding the door open for the next. We're stewards. Stewards. Right. Exactly. What about you, LP? Um, I mean, I think, I think that fashion really has changed so much. Like it's crazy when, when I think about it, but I do think we have such a long way to go only because many reasons, but I think one big one is just, there isn't like an alignment of our values across the board, which I, I don't think is, you know, we're all so different and we all come from different places and different people, all of that. But I do think um, the why of why we're doing this job is so different for so many people, but also um, why we want to continue doing it. And I often find um, that the industry feels a little bit not sustainable because you have to work so hard and you have to stay in it for so long. Um, And, you know, it can feel like so much pressure of, of, do I stay? How do I get better? How do I make this better? All of that. Whereas I do think, um, the why and like just in thinking about the inclusion of, of my values and what I want to bring to the table always really grounds me. Um, and so I do think a lot of times when we talk about, you know, making a magazine, we both talk about being intentional a lot because I think, you know, if, if I'm saying yes to, putting a person on the cover. It's not because I think that the person is, oh, this is just like a nice idea. Um, it's because I've we've really sat and thought about, okay, so why do we want to have this conversation? And why do we need to have it right now? And who's going to shoot them? And why would that person bring this about them to life? And how do we want the viewer to understand that what yeah. we're trying to convey in this person? And there's a million different things that go into it. But I do think that fashion oftentimes can hold true a lot of the values of, well, we've always done it this way. Yeah. We've always shot with this photographer. We've always worked with, you know, these models. We've always done it this way. And I just don't think about ideas or, or dream about it in that way. A lot of times for me, it'll come to me in dreams, honestly, or, Mm. um, I just will sit and think of, you know, if we, if I wanted to make, you know, a cover this moment really different, then what's the opposite way of going about it? And what do I feel like people actually mm. haven't done yet? That just brings a different note to it. And so I do think that there's a, 
there's always like a, a struggle with fashion because we like to be progressive, but then we like to be really traditional in a sense. <laughs> um, and I always feel that, especially now, because like when we go to shows in Europe, it's like you realize like the same group, like this very small group of us now. And I never realized that before I started coming to Europe um, because mm. you just, you like Google the mastheads or that's what I used to do when I was younger. And you'd like know all these names, but then you realize like it's a quite small group of us. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, that tension and that alignment of like, what do we really value? Like what's really important to us? Is it, yeah. is it more important to kind of done, do the same things that we've always done? Or is it more important to actually move forward? Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the way that we wrap these conversations is a little fill in the blank. And it's, if you really knew me, you would know. And you can share one, two, or three things. I love how both of your eyes widen. <laughs> Very big. <laughs> I know you have a menu. If you really knew me, you would know. Um, if you really knew me, you would know that I love to cook. That's an easy one, but it is, it's very serious. Like I love it. Yes. And those it's, a, oh, it's one of the few things I have that I can turn my brain off. Mm, so it's like meditative like for you. Yeah. What's your other one? Reading, but reading for fun. Yes. Not for work. <laughs> love. If you really knew me, <laughs> you would know that I like to eat. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> I know, Lindsay, what's so, happening? A dinner, a basically, dinner. basically. <laughs> a not so fashion dinner, fashion dinner. I love it. Um, any other, if you really knew me shares? If you really knew me, you would know that I do not know how to answer this question. Um, I will leave that to the people who really know me. I don't know. That's an interesting take. Yeah. Smear with the hot take. I today. know. I know. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you both so much. I love you. Thank and I you. appreciate love you. you. I love you. I love you. Thanks for bringing us together. And thank you. Thank you. Podcast Nude is an at-your-service production. Producers include myself, Adam Khafif, and Sara Isa. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Bahid Frazier. The theme music is the song Thunderdome, Welcome to America, by our dear friends, Portugal the Man. Extra gratitude and thanks to our storytellers, Samira Nasser and Lindsay Peoples. And as always, at your service. <laughs> <laughs>